Thank you for tuning into the Home Plate Podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. I'm Calvin Smith, one of the hosts of the Home Plate Podcast, if you're a loyal listener. And I just wanted to let you know, the Home Plate Podcast will have a new home starting next week. We'll be on Spotify and Apple Podcast and Google Podcast with our own page. So rate, review, and subscribe to our show to make sure you get all of our episodes coming in the future. Updates will be posted at thegamenashville.com and at 1025thegame on Twitter. Just remember, the Home Plate Podcast will have a new home starting next week. Here from ESPN 1025thegame. But now, let's get to our show. From the wholesaling studios, powered by rumbleon.com, this is the Home Plate Podcast with Ryan Port and Calvin Smith. Talking all things baseball in the city of Nashville. Just a bit outside. On Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Welcome in to yet another edition of the Home Plate Podcast. Hot Stove Edition. Ryan Porth, Calvin Smith here with you as the offseason is upon us in Major League Baseball. And Calvin, there hasn't been a whole lot of time wasted on the hot stove front. Oh, no. Across baseball. I, I kind of feel like this is going to be an exciting offseason. There are big names in free agency. Oh, You've yeah. got Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, a slew of other quality free agents out there. You've got big trade rumors. We're going to get to those in a little bit. Matt McCarthy of 98.5, the Sports Hub, up in Boston. Great insight on what's going on in Boston right now. And everything around Mookie Betts, Nashville Nashville kids. So we're going to learn a lot more about the Mookie Betts situation. Francisco Lindor in trade rumors. Chris Bryant in Chicago yeah. in trade rumors. Just a whole lot of going on. So we we have a lot to get to in this edition, but we want to lead off with something that we discussed last week on the podcast, which is Steven Strasburg opting out in Washington. What did you make of that news? I remember last week, my basic thought was, I mean, I wouldn't do that if I was him. Like, I've got a nice guaranteed contract right now. Everything lines up and I can go be a star in Washington forever and go down as the World Series MVP of the Nationals team that won it all. And I had the opposite thought. Yes. But then I guess I kind of sat down and I thought, well, he, he has an opt out in that deal. And he just won World Series MVP. Maybe he should cash in on that. And thinking about it, it is probably the business savvy move. You know, I think I was being a little bit short sighted and not taking the full picture into account and thinking, hey, he can really ring the register, even though Steven Strasburg right now is already making a lot of money. But he can I mean, he can go get well over thirty million. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, well, probably on maybe on a shorter basis, but he's willing to make that trade for a huge amount of money right now. And kind of going back to our discussion last week, I think Strasburg could easily make $200 million on his next deal. Easily. How many years? Seven. I wouldn't sign him to a seven-year deal. I seven would've... years, 210? Is that too much? That I mean, that that's pretty reasonable within the ballpark, but he's 31, right? That's off the top of my head. He's either 30 or 31. With premier free agents, the number of years on a contract doesn't seem to matter. It, but... with, with some teams, some teams just do whatever it takes to get the player that they want and they ignore the last maybe half or third of that contract. And I think that's a mistake, personally. But I in don't. In sports or with Strasburg? In sports. Okay. In sports in general, you should always be factoring that into your equations. But you're all about your equations. All about my equations and algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> 
But with Strasburg, it just I I th- I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I, last week I was being short sighted. He totally should be opting out of this. If I was him, I would be doing the same thing. Probably because my agent would be telling me to. Because my agent would want to get that nice percentage of a yearly deal that he could get, even if he returns to DC. Exactly. Which which isn't out of the cards. Mm-hmm. Strasburg could just be saying, "Hey, I just won World Series MVP, guys. Like I I want to be here, but you know." Uh, give me a little more. Do you think he says it just like that? Oh, just like that. I know Steven very well. Okay. Is he, <laughs> is he in your uh, fave five? My fave five? Yeah, yeah. He. We actually have a group chat. You know, me, him, Trevor Bauer, all those guys. <laughs> Kyle, Bo- Kyle Ka- Bode. Kyle Bode, everybody in the Reds organization, really. We're all, we're all best friends. So, yeah, okay. I know Steven so well. Okay. <laughs> I bet he does return to D.C., but obviously some interesting news on that front. And then the Braves have made it publicly known. Your Atlanta Braves, yes, Calvin, yes. that they are going to prioritize Madison Bumgarner in free agency. How do you feel about that? Good. I think for the price that you're probably going to get Bumgarner at, I think it'll be a little bit better than what you'd have to pay Strasburg. Because Strasburg right now, that's like a buy and high thing. With Bumgarner, he wasn't the same guy last year. There was the injury stuff, all the things about the trades and all the rumors, and you know the production wasn't as good. I think you can get Bumgarner for a little bit cheaper, maybe a few less years, because Madison Bumgarner is 30 right now, and there's still stuff in the tank. I think a left-handed pitcher is going to help, and the Braves need to start saying, okay, it's time to pour some fire on this window we have right now. Because it's this, I mean, it opened up this past season, but now you're in prime time where you're ready to take the world by storm, and it looks like. The NL is up for grabs. I didn't realize until this week that Mad Bum is younger than Strasburg. Yep. It doesn't feel that way. No, not at all. With as many as many miles as there are on Mad Bum's arm. Yep. I kind of assumed he was 33, 34. I, I, what, before I looked it up, I thought he was like 32. And mm-hmm. I thought Strasburg was, I thought Strasburg's 31. But yeah, it's kind of weird because we're used to seeing Madison Bumgarner in the postseason, and like, shoot, that was like six, seven years I ago. Know. Which is like, I was in high school then, mm. and I just can't even believe that that I was watching Madison Bumgarner, and that I mean, that would have made him in his mid twenties. Mm-hmm. So he was doing that at such a young age. One that makes it really cool. Two, there's still gas in the tank for him, and I think you know with how you can manage pitchers nowadays, the workload won't get as bad on the back end. Kind of think the Braves need that veteran workhorse. Yes, on that staff. Yes, they've not got a, Julio Tehran. Yes, and they're not going to have him any longer. And yes. we will get to that later on in the podcast. But you've got a lot of talented young arms, and I don't know if Dallas Keuchel is quite that veteran workhorse that is that is capable of leading a staff deep into the playoffs. So. I'm not surprised that they are prioritizing Madison Bumgarner. We'll be getting to that here in a little bit. Before we get to the Mookie Betts rumors with Matt McCarthy in Boston, Carlos Beltran was hired since the last time we did the podcast. Mm -hmm. The New York Mets going with Beltran over Eduardo Perez, which I probably would have too, even though I wasn't sitting in the room during the interview, so I have no idea if Eduardo Perez aced that test, I would assume he did if he was in the final two. Yeah. Beltron just seems maybe a little bit more savvy in that in that world as a manager. In what world? In the clubhouse? In the clubhouse. This goes back to my theory I stated a couple weeks ago. If you're a loyal listener to the Home Plate Podcast, you're going to remember I said this. I think front offices are wanting to run how the game is played now. 
they're put the teams like the Rays, they're putting people in the dugouts who understand all the analytics for the trigger word, but the equations and algorithm and algorithms, probabilities and statistics that baseball is run on now. And that person is informing a lot of the decision decisions a manager is making. Mm-hmm. And it's really causing this change in baseball where I think the front offices are in the dugouts. They're saying, here's what we want to do. And we need our manager to be in control of these guys to make sure everything's okay when we do these now controversial decisions because they go against a lot of conventional wisdom. And I think that's a huge part of why you see these clubhouse hires of former players, to put that in quotation marks, happening so often. Well, not only are they former players, they are former players from just a handful of years ago, not retreads from the last 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. where... They've been there, done that, but they may have an old way about them, i.e. Dusty Baker, where you've got someone like a Carlos Beltran who doesn't have all these preconceived notions as a manager, and the front office can kind of mold Beltran the the way... That's exactly what I was going to say. They can mold him into the manager that they want, and he can also relate to the younger players, or even the veterans, because he was playing just two years ago. Well, And the ability to speak Spanish is huge. With how we are in baseball right now, a lot of players come out of the Dominican, a lot of Central and Latin American players, and one, I think that's great for the game, just in terms of global growth, but also as a manager, you've got to be able to talk to everybody, and that's a huge part of being able to relate to someone, and if you don't speak Spanish and you're trying to be a baseball coach and in major in the major leagues, it's really tough because how are you going to communicate with these guys mm-hmm. on your team who spent the first 18 years of their life speaking a different language? That's a great point. Great point. So I would assume that is a big reason why not only the Mets, but a lot of teams are going with that younger former player putting in the dugout and not all the retreads. And with the relatability, it seems like baseball prospects keep getting younger. Every year they come up here, Juan Soto's, Ronald Acuna's, Bryce right. Harper's, Mike Trout's, they're all very, very young when they made their debuts. And obviously those are the cream of the crop stars, but part of the thought process now is, hey, a lot of these guys might be ready to go sooner. Well, and when Dusty Baker was in those shoes, that was 40, 50 years prior to Juan Soto being in those shoes. So, yeah, I I can totally see why baseball is going this direction. And the direction in which the Boston Red Sox are going has, I think, a lot of people scratching their heads, Calvin. I'm puzzled. They are, if you read ESPN.com, if you read The Athletic, there is a whole lot swirling about what the Red Sox are going to do. Now, all this kind of sparked this week when J.D. Martinez opted into his 2020 contract, and a lot of people feel like that's going to increase the likelihood that Mookie Betts, Nashville native, former MVP. John Overton High School grad. There you go. Not just Overton, John Overton. Yes. A lot of people now think that Mookie Betts, the the likelihood of him getting traded is increasing. And joining us now to discuss the Mookie Betts situation, Matt McCarthy of 98.5 Sports Hub up there in Boston to talk about the Mookie Betts situation and everything going on with the Boston Red Sox. Matt, thank you so much for joining us here on the Home Play Podcast. Seriously, you guys are just trying to depress me, talking about this Red Sox offseason coming up. What are you, you guys trying to hurt me? What are you trying to do here? Yes, we are. Always, always good to be on with you. You, you. you guys up there in Boston have had it too good for too long. You deserve an offseason like this. <laughs> you know, as I've always said, 
The last 15 to 20 years has just been God's apology for the previous nine decades of Red Sox misery and, and <laughs> overall loserness that we experienced. So I think we 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 still have like a seven more like seven more decades that he owes us. There you go. <laughs> I uh, I like that. So Mookie Betts, obviously a lot of interest here in the Middle Tennessee area, being a Nashville native. Mookie Betts winning AL MVP in 2018 and. Suddenly after that season, some whispers about some trade rumors started uh, surface, surfacing up there in Boston. And now it seems to uh, th- those ru- those rumors seem to be growing a little bit. What can you tell us about the situation of Mookie Betts up there in Boston and whether or not he's going to stay a Red Sox uh, going into 2020? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of those situations where it's like, you know, where do we start on this? Um, I mean, obviously, Mookie Betts is a homegrown player. Uh, you know, the Red Sox a few years ago, before 2017, after his near-MVP campaign, uh, approached him with what was reported at the time as a five-year, $100-plus-million-dollar contract extension. He turned that down. Uh, they were said to have approached Mookie Betts uh, entering the 2018 season with an eight-year, $200-million-dollar contract. He turned that down. So basically, this is a situation here. You know, he's a year away from free agency. The Red Sox have approached him on numerous occasions with contract extensions, and he's made it pretty clear that he wants to go to the market. Uh, and you've got a team that is very much transitioned. They're, they're about to enter a, a transition phase. You know, the term bridge year is being thrown out a lot around here. Uh, the Red Sox are looking to slash payroll. They want to get under $208 million. They've spent $240 million the last two, uh, last two years. They want to reset their luxury tax penalties. So you've got a team that wants to slash payroll. You've got one of the best players in baseball who keeps rejecting contract offers. And, you know, we can debate whether those were fair value contract offers or not. I would say the Red Sox haven't offered him enough to get him to accept a deal, but it's a fair question. Does he want to be here? Do the Red Sox, you know, want to extend themselves, you know, to what it would take to sign Mookie Betts to a true fair market level deal, which – I mean, right now, guys, I guess is really anybody's guess, but, you know, just based on the Trout contract, based on the Harper contract, I mean, he's a better, better player than Harper, so he should get more than $330 million. I mean, are we talking like 10 years, $350 million? You know, do the Red Sox want to extend that type of offer to him? Does he even want to be here? You know, that's, it's just one of those questions that, that really has lingered for the last few years, and with, with the direction that the franchise is going in, it just seems more likely than ever before that Mookie Betts will be traded this offseason based on where the Red Sox are, based on you know, his apparent unwillingness, maybe unwillingness, uh, you know, to stay in Boston. He wants to certainly test the market. And, you know, if he tests the market, then maybe he's gone. Uh, it's a complicated situation. You know, this guy's the face of the franchise. He's one of the top five players in baseball, arguably. You know, they're still the Boston Red Sox. They should still be able to pay him. Like, money should never be an issue for them. But they're making it an issue. So this is going to be a fascinating offseason, and it seems more likely than ever before that, yes, they will trade Mookie Betts this offseason. Matt, I'm curious why there may be a question, not only from you, but a lot of people in Boston, of whether or not Mookie Betts wants to be there long-term. Does it stem back to the comments that he made uh, earlier this calendar year of how he just wants to hit free agency? Mookie's a business guy, you know, first and foremost. And I think he does want to test the market. And, I mean, hey, listen, you know, if I had $350 million potentially sitting there for me, too, I'd probably want to test the market as well. 
Um, so there's, there's a sense, there's been this growing sense that, well, Mookie doesn't want to be here. But I'm not necessarily sure if that's a, a fair narrative that, that we've developed in Boston because, again, you know, have the Red Sox offered him enough you know, for, for him to take that contract. Like, if they're only offering him 8 for 200 and he can get 10 for 350 on the open market, like, yeah, no kidding he's going to reject that. So, you know, there's a, there's a real chicken or the egg type of thing going on here. Does Mookie want to be here? Are the Red Sox serious enough about keeping him here? Uh, and and that's, that's been a great debate that we've had in Boston over the last year or two. I think there's this sense, you know, among, amongst the fans, amongst the media, that, that he doesn't necessarily want to be here because he's never been effusive in his praise about Boston and his time here. Uh, he's very close with David Price, who, uh, has, as we all know, does not care for Boston one bit. Uh, so there's a, there's a sense that, you know, maybe Mookie doesn't want to get locked down here long term because he's seen the way that things have gone uh, with, David, with David Price. But then again, if you approach him with a fair market value, you know, fair market deal, does he take it? You know, it's, it's one of those things where we don't have the answer. There are just a whole bunch of questions and there are a whole bunch of reasons why we might have gotten to this place and where we might be going. Well, that was going to be my exact next, next question, Matt, is are the Red Sox completely out of the running based on how you feel right now? Because Boston, it's a big market, and if they were to pony up with a more fair market value, is is Mookie just completely out of it, or is there still a good chance, you think? The answer is I don't know, uh, because because we haven't reached that point. The Red Sox, again, at least to my point, have never approached Betts with, with a legitimate you know, open market deal that would make him say you know, yes or no. So we don't have the answer on that. Um, I just think the way we're trending here, you know, the Red Sox are looking to slash payroll. I don't think that offer is going to come from them. Which you know, to me, as as a Red Sox fan, and if you live in this town, like that's totally unacceptable. You know, because they're the Boston Red Sox, money should never be an issue for them. That's the advantage that they have. If you're the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers, if you're one of those teams, you should never let a franchise player walk out the door simply because of money. You know, we're, they're not the Tampa Bay Rays. They're not the Kansas City Royals. They have the luxury to keep somebody like Mookie Betts. It just doesn't look like we're trending in that direction. Now, you can argue as to whether, you know, whether or not it's a good baseball decision to sign anybody on this planet, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper, any of those guys, to a $350 million deal. You know, we can have that discussion, and you know, it would be a legitimate discussion. But still, when you're the Boston Red Sox and you're going to let a guy potentially walk over money alone, that's, that's not going to go over well in this town, and, and, and rightfully so. Well, that's a little bit puzzling to me then. What does that say about the Red Sox as an organization's trajectory? I mean, it's not like their farm system is incredibly robust right now where they could just do a quick rebuild and uh, throw off some cash on the side. What does that say about where they're trying to go for the next five years? Well, and that's the thing. You know, there really is no direction for this franchise right now. And and this offseason is is perhaps the most critical offseason the Red Sox have faced uh, it really in quite some time because, you know, Calvin, the point you made, and it's 100% true, uh, their farm system is, is in shambles right now. Uh, they're starting pitching their, their bullpen. Uh, major questions on, on the pitching staff with health and overall effectiveness. I mean, you know, David Price, he's coming off of wrist surgery. Chris Sale still might not be out of the woods when it comes to Tommy John. Nathan Evaldi had another elbow surgery this past year. You know, they don't have a closer. They don't have an eighth-inning guy. They've got all these, these internal problems that they need to fix, 
and they don't have a farm system to do it. So, you know, perhaps the best baseball move is to trade Mookie Betts, see if you can restock that farm system, see if you can find a team out there with, you know, a loaded farm system with a number of good pitching prospects. The Atlanta Braves certainly come to mind. Uh, and, you know, is that the way that you restock for the next five or ten years? And, you know, that gets into that discussion. Is it worth it to pay Mookie Betts $350 million? Because as good of a player as he is, you have all these other issues that you need to address with this franchise moving forward. Are you a World Series contender because you have Mookie Betts on your team? Yes or no. Or are you a World Series contender because you fix your pitching staff and you get young cost-controlled players and you can supplement those players with, with uh, you know, uh, players that you would bring in via free agency? Like You can make the argument, and I'm certainly willing to listen to the argument. In fact, I'd make the argument myself that you're a better team if you trade Mookie Betts, and that gives you more flexibility moving forward. So I think it's one of the reasons he does go this offseason. He does get traded, or the Red Sox will seriously look to trade him, because just where this franchise is right now, it might make the most sense from a pure baseball perspective. So, Matt, J.D. Martinez this week opted into his contract for 2020. In your mind, does that increase the likelihood that Mookie gets traded? Yes. And again, you know, it shouldn't because you're the Boston Red Sox. Having a you know, former MVP candidate opt into a contract should never force you to trade another, you know, a reigning MVP. Like, that, that should never happen. But, you know, hey, we do live in the real world. And, yes, this will increase the likelihood that, uh, that they trade Mookie Betts. And, and they've basically come out and said that themselves. Sam Kennedy, the team president, said at the beginning of the offseason that, it's going to be difficult to keep both Betts and Martinez. Again, because they're trying to slash $32 million in payroll. Betts is going to see his, his salary arbitration go up another 7 to $10 million. Like, if you keep Martinez and Betts, you can get under 208 but you can't do anything else to your team. And, and frankly, it's, it's absurd that $208 million, like can't build a World Series contender, <laughs> but just the bad contracts they've doled out over the years – you know, this is the position that they've put themselves in, where Martinez opts in, he gets his $22 million for the next year, and all of a sudden you're saying, okay, we still need to cut, you know, $30 million here, we've got to fix our pitching staff, we've got to figure out what we're doing on the right side of the infield, and all these things, and that increases the likelihood that you trade Mookie Betts. It's just, it's a bad position that the Red Sox have put themselves in, and they only have themselves to blame. I was reading The Athletic earlier today where Ken Rosenthal chimed in on this situation on Mookie Betts and the Boston Red Sox, and he makes a, a case as to say a better path might be to move left-hander David Price, another Middle Tennessee native, who's owed $96 million over the next three years, or right-hander Nathan Navaldi owed $51 million over the next three. And he says that it could increase the likelihood of doing one of those trades with Price or Ivaldi if the Red Sox threw in uh, Andrew Benintendi uh, with a trade like that. What kind of goes through your mind when you hear or read something like that? You know, the Sox are going to have to be creative, right? And, and Haim Bloom, who comes from the Rays, uh, he's taking over as the Red Sox chief baseball operator uh, or officer, or whatever they call it, just another annoying term for a general manager. I know, you right? just stick with the term GM. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> he's a general manager, all right? He's handling baseball operations. But, you know, so he comes from the Rays. They work on a shoestring budget. They've had to be creative, whereas the Red Sox haven't had to be creative. Like Dave Dombrowski 
if you want somebody to come in and spend your money and just go out and get really good players, Dave Dombrowski is your guy, but he's not going to be creative. So, you know, will high-end Bloom look at a situation like that saying, you know, we've got to find a way to clear money on other parts of the roster, you know, clear David Price's contract. And, I mean, he's got – he's owed, I think, $96 million, uh, $93 million, something like that, over the next three years. It's not really a movable contract. He's a problem in the clubhouse. Uh, we all know that. Uh, so how do you move that guy? Do you package him with somebody like Andrew Benintendi, with somebody like Eduardo Rodriguez, and have another team say, hey, yeah, we'll take on that money if we get a player of that quality back, a young, cost-controlled player? I mean, it's sort of similar to what the Red Sox did in 2012, obviously on a bigger, you know, from a bigger standpoint, when they unloaded Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett uh, and, uh, and what was the other big Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez, right, but they used Adrian Gonzalez in that trade to unload the Beckett and Crawford contracts because Gonzalez was still a good player at that point, but they used him to say, okay, and you can take the dead weight that was Carl Crawford uh, and, and Josh Beckett at that point. So they got creative. They found a way to clear that money by offering up a, a desirable player in return. So are they willing to do that this offseason? I I don't necessarily hate the idea because you've got to find a way to clear some money somehow. So if you trade, say, Andrew Benintendi, who's a good young player but you know, I don't think is, a, is an all-star caliber player, if you trade Benintendi to unload Evaldi or Price but that allows you to keep Mookie Betts, then that's a good thing for the Red Sox. And if they're willing to get creative like that, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on it. But, again, you, know, you have to keep Betts as a result. I'm curious what the Boston fan base, a passionate Red Sox fan base, how they feel about the Mookie Betts situation and whether the disdain, if he were to leave, would be centered around him or the Red Sox front office. See, I think the disdain and I think the, the displeasure should be directed towards the Red Sox front office. Um, I don't think this is Mookie Betts. Now, I mean, maybe it is. I don't know that. You know, maybe he just flat out doesn't want to be here because he's buddies with David Price and David Price hates it here and Mookie says, I want out because everybody's been mean to David. You know, maybe that's, that's the case, but I truly think, and I've, I've always believed, if you went to Mookie Betts right now and said, here's 10 years, here's $350 million, we're going to make you the second highest paid player in baseball, like, how do you turn that down? So I think the, the displeasure from the fans should be directed at the organization if Betts gets dealt. Again, you're the Boston Red Sox. You're richer than God. You, you, know, you, you pack 38,000 people into a 100-year-old into a ballpark and charge us the highest ticket prices in baseball you know, to, to go watch a third-place team, and you're going to trade Mookie Betts because you can't afford it? Like, how do you sell that to your fan base? That's, that's a really tough sell. So if they trade Mookie Betts uh, you know, because of the money, that's <laughs> – you know, you got to look at the organization and say, guys, come on, really? Like, this is, you're going to sell us this? I, as a Red Sox fan, that's a hard thing to swallow. Exactly. Why are they trying to slash payroll like they are? Why are they so concerned about this now? Like you said, you know, they're richer than God. They're the Red Sox. There's <laughs> so much money flowing in there. It seems, why do they want, why do they feel like they need to or want to cut payroll like they seem to want to? You know, it's, so baseball sort of has a luxury, sort of has a salary cap now, uh, and you see, and it's still in the form of a luxury tax. But the penalties have become pretty harsh. That you see teams, even the Yankees and even the Dodgers, they're very conscious about getting below those 
luxury tax thresholds to reset the penalties. You know, if you go into the luxury tax two, three, four years in a row, the penalties get harsher and harsher. And if you go below those thresholds, then all of a sudden those penalties get reset. So the Red Sox, are, are they want to reset it, um, which from a baseball perspective somewhat makes sense because, you know, they've been having draft picks docked in recent years because they've been so far over the luxury tax that eventually it does start to hurt you from a baseball perspective. The problem is the timing on this. The problem is, you know, as you've got your franchise player ready to walk out the door over money, now all of a sudden you're going to reset the penalties. This, this is a lack of forethought by the Red Sox. You know, and again, you know, they had, a, they had a general manager who, you know, all he wants to do is come in and spend money and build the best team he possibly can. And they want a World Series, you know, doing it that way. Uh, which which is fine and dandy, and, and it's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, winning the World Series is fantastic, and if you hurt the next few years because of it, I think most fans, and I would certainly, you know, make that trade. But now you've got to pay the piper on this. And, you know, the Red Sox, you know, should they have been more willing to reset their luxury tax penalties for 2019 in the wake of a World Series victory, knowing that Mookie Betts was going to be a free agent after 2020, and then you can go over the tax for the next two or three years, and then you've got two or three years to figure it out. Like, that probably would have been a better approach instead of just trying to bring back the same team and going for it one last time, because that certainly didn't work. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the Red Sox didn't plan this out as well as they should have. It's been a problem that they've had really under the Henry ownership uh, since he bought the team in 2002. You know, they have a tendency to change philosophies year after year, you know, without a lot of consistency, and that has a tendency to hurt them. That's why this decade, since Theo Epstein left, they've been so volatile. Epstein leaves in 2011, last place in 2012, World Series in 2013, last place in 14 and 15. Then you win the division three straight years, you win the World Series, and now all of a sudden it looks like you're going into a big downswing again. There's very little consistency, and it starts at the top of the organization, and it's one of the reasons they've been so volatile in the last decade. Matt McCarthy of 98.5, the Sports Hub up in Boston. Matt, thank you so much for your time and informing us and giving us kind of a, a look behind the curtain in the city of Boston surrounding all the Mookie Betts rumors as we enter the offseason. Thank you so much, um, and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Ryan, anytime, happy to be on. And, yes, if the Braves want to trade us their pitching prospects for Mookie Betts, I will drive to Atlanta personally <laughs> and pick them up and bring them back. So if you've got any poll there in Atlanta, I know it's not far from Nashville. I think Nashville, I would say, is probably a Braves market. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You guys want Mookie Betts? Uh, you know, from a baseball perspective, uh, I think we can make something work here. Cal- Calvin Smith. Yeah, as a Braves fan, I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world either. Although Madison Bumgarner looks like the priority right now. Now, uh, real quick, Calvin, before you yeah. let me go. So uh, the Braves need pitching, right? I mean, I think yeah. we can all agree with that. Are you willing to part with, you know, say, Pache and maybe Nick Anderson or one of your other top pitching prospects? Is that a deal that you're willing to make? Or are you in such a win-now mode that you'll add another position player? Granted, maybe one of the best position players in baseball, you know, to maybe, you know, essentially mm-hmm. really load up for, for a potential run to the World yeah. Series? For me, personally, with the Braves, it's not Pache. That's the guy I wouldn't trade, but every anybody else really in that system is fair game. Anderson and Drew Waters, their other outfielding prospects, you're probably a little bit more hesitant on, but 
Pache is not. The, is probably the only guy I would be most reluctant to trade. I think Calvin would drive Kyle Wright to Boston. I, I to would make that trade happen. Oh, oh I would. <laughs> you know what? We'll we'll just meet somewhere along ninety five, and we can make the swap. We can save on gas and everything. I'm thinking we can meet somewhere just north of DC, <laughs> something like that. Does that that work for you? Teamwork makes the dream work. I love it. Exactly. A Mookie will just meet at a rest stop. Mookie will get out. You can send me your three pitching prospects. I can pile them in my Mazda. We'll just make a U-turn and head straight back up 95. My Hyundai gets like 38 to the gallon. <laughs> ah, perfect. Even better. <laughs> Matt McCarthy up in Boston. Thank you so much again for your time. Guys, anytime. Always good to be on with you. Great stuff from Matt McCarthy, 98.5 The Sports Hub up there in Boston. And Calvin, it really stuck out in that interview the disorganization of the Boston Red Sox franchise and the fact that that franchise of all franchises in baseball, the Boston Red Sox are looking to cut payroll, which we all know we we've all read about in the last few months, yep. but it became really evident during that interview with Matt that there, there's just a whole lot of stuff going on in that front office. And I don't think they really know the direction they truly want to go down this off season. Befuddling and confusing. But do you know who recently exited the Boston Red Sox front office? Who? And I'm going to do a little bit of extrapolation, maybe a little bit of dot connecting. Okay. Bill James left the Red Sox after 17 years. Bill James, obviously the sabermetrician, the first guy to do, like, analy- the most famous person to do analytics in baseball. Is he your hero? Uh, No, I, would, I wouldn't call him my hero, no. Okay. Although I do obviously respect a lot of his work. Right. Continue. But, uh, yeah, Bill James out in Boston. And he he tweeted out, you know, it was out there, I'm leaving on the best possible terms. This has nothing to do with any kind of fights we had. But I have to imagine that with a front office who's kind of disorganized right now, figuring out their direction, and then someone who's been with them for 17 years like Bill James has been, kind of connect a little bit of the dots there and it makes a little bit of sense that things kind of are uncertain of what's going on up there if they have no direction after Bill James is leaving. So Matt McCarthy spoke a lot in that interview of market value for Mookie Betts Mm -hmm. and the numbers that he continued to toss out there 10 years 350 million. Do you feel like that is fair market value? Let's say this time next year this time next year Mookie Betts is a free agent. Yep. Do you feel like that is fair market value for Mookie Betts? Baseball money's crazy. I think Mookie Betts playing as good as he can play, as well as he can play, I think it's not crazy. He'll be 28 at the end of next season. I would not hate Mookie Betts on a long deal if I'm an Atlanta Braves fan, if I'm a Dodgers fan, Cardinals fan, Giants fan, whoever fan. I wouldn't hate that because you're talking about a guy who is still in the prime of his career. You can get a lot of good years out of him, and he's a reigning MVP guy. Mm-hmm. You you can't. Situations like this don't come around very often where a guy hits the free agent market with still maybe four years left in his prime like that, and you're going to have to pay the price. So 10 years, 350, not crazy. Because like he said, Mookie Betts is better than Bryce Harper. Not better than Trout. Nobody's better than Trout in this game right now. So I don't think it's crazy to think that someone who is also a marketable star for an organization, a lot of people, maybe this is a Nashville bias in me, but a lot of people know who Mookie Betts is. He was on the cover of RBI Baseball, the video game, just a relatable character. Yeah. I mean, he he is one of the, as Matt put it, one of the faces of the Red Sox franchise. He is a fan favorite. He plays the brand of baseball, like you said, that is very 
aesthetically pleasing, fun, and fun. Like people kind of like gritty baseball. Well, and, and two, he's usually one of those in spring training or the All Star game that is mic'd up in the outfield having fun with yep. with the TV crew. Everybody my age knows who Mookie Betts is. Exactly. I would definitely think ten years, three hundred fifty million is market value. He might be able to knock on the door of four hundred. If I'm being complete, if he were to go out, no matter what team he's on next year, if he were to even come close to replicating 2018, in which yeah. he had a war of nearly 11, according that, to baseball which reference. Which is nuts. 10.9. And this year felt like a down year for Mookie Betts. Yep. And his war was 6.8. What are the individual numbers? What, like, what did he slash? 295 batting average, 391 on base. 915 OPS. So you're telling me you get a 391 OBP in a down year? Yeah. That's worth $30 million at least per year. Exactly. So if you have another season of over 400 and you carry whatever team you're on to the playoffs and you're an MVP candidate once again, yeah, I think he can knock on the door of 400. Mike Trout did not hit free agency. If Mike Trout hit free agency... It was 12 years, $430 million with mm-hmm. the Angels. Yep. Free agency, you're opening it up to the Phillies, the Yankees, the Cubs, the Dodgers. Big pocketbooks. You might be able to get $500 million. $500, if you're Mike uh, that, Trout. That, that day will come, and it could have come for Mike Trout, I think. It could have. It won't come for Mookie Betts. No, I don't think so he's for Mookie Betts. He's not to the Mike Trout it, level. You know who it could come for, though? Juan Soto, Juan Soto, or Ronald Acuna. Well, well, not it, Acuna anymore. It can't be Acuna. Yeah, I would have said Acuna if he didn't sign that stupid extension. Great for the Braves, terrible for Acuna. But Juan Soto, the hype train is there. He's going to be even younger than Mookie Betts when he hits the open market. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So Mookie Betts, it'll be interesting to see where those rumors go. Also, there's a residual beneficiary of Mookie Betts signing a big term contract. What's that? Where he went to high school, Overton. Ah. I remember playing against them you know, a few years back in my day. And I had a lot of friends who were there because I went to middle school with all those kids and whatever. And every year, they kind of just seemed to uh, get some new gear after Mookie got to the big. So they got ah. some new jerseys, or they got their dugouts remade, or they got new the grass. Feels, or feels looking a little nicer. Feels looking a little nicer. Oh, they got a new press box, something like that. They haven't gotten one yet, but Overton High School baseball coach Morrison, great guy over there they're going to benefit from Mookie signing the big deal too. 100%. So good stuff there from Matt McCarthy. Obviously, as a Nashville baseball podcast, we will be monitoring the Mookie Betts rumors all throughout the offseason and staying on top of it. But that's not only... But that's not the only offseason activity that interests this region. The Atlanta Braves are already active and could be very active coming up and that is how we lead off Around the Horn. We will lead off Around the Horn talking about the Atlanta Braves. Your Atlanta Braves, Calvin Smith. Now, this is something I wasn't going to be a big fan of, probably, if you'd have told me this in the middle of the year or the end of the season for the Atlanta Braves. Nick Markakis back. Tyler Flowers back. Uh, a little apprehensive there, but only $4 million. They were both owed... Uh, $6 million each next season. Well, they cut the ties on that and then gave him a signing bonus to basically have it to equate to the same thing, but it'll work out a little bit better on the Braves' cap numbers. So, 
The Atlanta Braves bring back Nick Markakis, Tyler Flowers, but no Julio Tehran yet anyways. Well, Julio Tehran, I kind of think he's run his course. He has. And Atlanta. He has. Whether it's out of the bullpen or as a four or five starter on a team that really needs starting pitching, I think he's going to be pitching elsewhere yes. next summer. Markakis is interesting because two years ago he was awesome. Last year he wasn't as awesome. And, I mean, his war last season was .8. Nigh on a replacement level player. Age is certainly catching up to him. I guess $4 million is basically nothing in baseball today. So, paying Nick Markakis $4 million, I think you're paying that mostly as a, for, for him to be a clubhouse presence. Entering his age 36 season? Yeah. Yeah. Not... I, I don't think I would have re-signed him, but a lot of, he's very well respected in that club. And then Tyler Flowers is just whatever for me. Yeah, we'll, we have Tyler Flowers coming up too later on. Staying on the Atlanta Braves, we talked about their interest in Madison Bumgarner. He is, quote, the priority, as mm-hmm. the headlines have read. But they signed Josh Donaldson to a one-year deal. Josh Donaldson had a good season last season. Does it make sense for the Braves to bring back the former MVP-winning third baseman? Hmm, that's a tough one because I don't think he's going to accept just a one-year deal. Nope, as he should this offseason with Atlanta. I think he could could go elsewhere and get three or four years. I was thinking three or four makes sense. If I'm the Braves front office, I I chalk it up as a good year, but I'm not going three or four with Josh Donaldson. It's tough. He has some injury history, yep. and to give him big money, you're going to have to pay him well over $20 million a year. Yeah, for sure. On not long term, but it's not a one year deal. I I would say thank you for your one good season. And he was great for the organization. I mean, people yeah. went to go see Josh Donaldson. Yeah. But best of luck in another uniform. That is a con we, we talked earlier about contracts that you you know, teams don't care about what the last half of a contract looks like. That is a contract that could look bad from the get-go if 2020 isn't a good year for Donaldson. Especially when you have Austin Riley. Uh, Austin Riley, is he ready? Probably not. But how does he get ready? He's got to play the position he came in here to play. And I think with Austin Riley, it just makes too much sense to not at least see what you have in him. Mm -hmm. Great point. Now, free agency. A lot of craziness is going to happen. Garrett Cole already out with well, not already out, I shouldn't say, but he's made it pretty clear that he wants to hit the open market and yep. not immediately re-sign with the Houston Astros. But would you, Ryan, rather give Garrett Cole $300 million, Steven Strasburg $200 million, or $100 million to Madison Bumgarner? It's a great question. And a lot of teams that need pitching this offseason are going to have to ask themselves that very question. Garrett Cole, the best pitcher on the planet right now, could very well be the first $300 million pitcher. Could very well be at a, that guy. At, at age 29? Yeah. Absolutely. The youngest of the three we named, Strasburg, Bumgarner. Strasburg, I think, absolutely gets $200 million. Mad Bum, I think, absolutely gets $100 mil. I would rather give 200 to Strasburg. Really? Of, oh. of those three options, I would rather give 200 to Strasburg. He doesn't have the miles that Mad Bum has, and Mad Bum has shown regression in the last couple years, yeah. and 300 for Cole seems like a lot of money for an arm. When we know arms are ticking time bombs with Tommy John or, or becoming issues physically, 
I'm investing in Strasburg, 200 mil. With arms in the big leagues, and as this pertains to Garrett Cole, they've got something different brewing in Houston. They have a lot of just sophisticated ways to get the most out of players, and it's truly admirable. If you go sign Garrett Cole, I don't think you're getting the same pitcher you got in Houston. Not because Garrett Cole isn't very, very good, but because the Astros are just that well at playing them. That said, I would take $100 million Madison Bumgarner just because I think he can return to a level of good play, and $100 million versus two hundred to Strasburg is a big difference in a year-over-year basis mm-hmm. for guys who are only one year apart. I think Madison Bumgarner would be my choice for value purposes. Fair argument. And final, does Ryan want Yasmani Grandal on the Reds? Because, hey, we talked about it with Matt. Reds 2020 World Series, is he the kind of guy who's going to push him over the edge and help manage a pitching staff? We talked to one of the Reds catchers, Kirk Casale. I wonder if he'd be in on that idea. Um, Well, I don't know if he would be in on it because it could exactly. impact his status with the Cincinnati Reds. I think if the Reds were to sign Grandall, in free agency, they would trade Tucker Barnhart and keep Casale because of Casale's connection with Derek Johnson and Sonny Gray. Yes. I think they would go that route. Yes. Because when they were in the in the running for JT Romuto last offseason, all the talk was that Tucker Barnhart was going to go to Miami as a part of that trade. So I think Barnhart would be on the way out. I would absolutely be in favor of the Reds signing Grandall in free agency because they need more offense. How much is too much for him? Money-wise, I don't really care. You don't care. If it's more than three years, I'm out. Three years or less on Three Grandall. years, $20 million for Grandall? You might have to... Uh, that's a that's a lot of money for Yasmani Grandall. You might have to go there for Grandall. I, personally, if I'm a Reds fan, I don't want the Reds touching $20 million for Yasmani Grandall when you have Barnhart and Casale on your roster. Now, it depends on how much the Reds can stretch their payroll this offseason. Yeah. I think... The mo- not knowing that makes me say I don't care about the money. But if I knew they had, let's say, $30 million to spend annually in free agency, I wouldn't I wouldn't go to 20 on Grandall. I would stay at 16 or 17 and spend the rest on someone like Nick Castellanos or Marcel Uzuna. If you're trying to compete, those would be good gasoline options for your fire. I think Castellanos in a Reds uniform would thrive. Yes, in that it, ballpark? In that ballpark. Yeah. As a as a new Cub, he raked in August at that ballpark. I think he would he would do wonders in a Reds uniform. I would be all about Castellanos, maybe even more so than Ozuna. I think I would be too, but also positionally for the Reds, I think that would work pretty well because you can put Senzel in the outfield too, and I might I might be more inclined to bet on Castellanos. We've talked a lot about the Red Sox in this podcast. The Reds have been in the rumors for Jackie Bradley. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's fine. You don't give up anything remotely valuable, though. But you could put Jackie Bradley in center and move Senzel to second base. Yes, which would be a better move for Senzel, probably, but your outfield would not be able to hit with Jackie Bradley. I mean, Jackie Bradley at the plate, not fun. No. Good defender, but not fun. And money-wise, you might have to spend that money on Bradley and not a Castellanos or Ozuna. And Bradley's not worth the money if you're comparing him to Ozuna or Castellanos because of the impact with the bat. Heavens no. So if you get Ozuna or Castellanos in the outfield, then you can platoon Jesse Winker and Aristides Aquino and then go out and get Grandal. I would be all for it. 
all for it. That is Around the Horn. That's Around the Horn. And before we get out of here, Calvin, I know you have a soundbite from Tyler Flowers. I do. Who we mentioned earlier that you want to get to. Yes, Tyler Flowers was on MLB Network on SiriusXM. And this is one of the highlights they posted on their Twitter account. And apparently, he's not a fan of automated strike zones. And I'm very puzzled. Uh, one of my best, if not only skill set, <laughs> is uh, you know my ability to get pitches called strikes. So I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's taken a, a piece of talent out of the game, um, if it were to go that direction. I, I just I don't really see it happening. I mean, it's just... There's too many unknowns, too many variables, and I think there's a real lack of understanding on both sides, pitcher sides and hitter sides, and how big this strike zone is at times and how small the strike zone seems to be. But, you know, when you have a pitcher that throws a sinker at the bottom of the zone, a lot of times it's nipping the bottom. Uh, but if the presentation's a little off, you don't get it. With that said, you throw a couple sliders six inches off the plate. If you do it two or three times in a row, odds are you're going to get the second or third call in the I think pitchers oftentimes lack recognizing that's happening. I think hitters oftentimes don't realize the distance and difference from the bottom outside corner and the top inside corner. And when you, you take away the presentation aspect, uh, you know, I think it'll be really eye-opening to, to all sides of the game. And I, do, I think catchers are probably one of the better examples or, or people to give their opinion just because we have to see it from both sides. Um, but I, I do think it would be eye-opening for, for the entire game um, and probably the fan base and, and everyone watching on TV as well. Just So, yeah, that is Tyler Flowers. You you were shaking your head the entire time listening to that audio bit. Because I think that's a really stupid point. Why? Well, he said <laughs> it would be eye-opening for a lot of fans and pitchers and catchers and hitters playing the game because he, he basically said – I, I typed it down because I just thought it was crazy. I wanted to remember. There's too many unknowns, too many variables. You went on to say there's a lack of understanding how big the strike zone is. Why? Because umpires are inconsistent. Umpires are variable. Umpires are humans with eyes standing behind the catcher. It's a flawed system. That's why there's a lack of understanding. You want clear and defined rules and consistency for people at the plate. For pitchers, so they can know where they should be throwing the ball. If they can offer you a defined strike zone, you should absolutely take it. And I understand Tyler Flowers. Like he said at the beginning, you know, he's a pitch framer. That's what he does. He's not too great at the plate. He doesn't have a hose. He doesn't have a good pop time. He frames pitches and he manages staffs. This takes away one of his best abilities. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand that, Tyler Flowers. But, But rejecting the opportunity to get something that is more effective at calling strikes and is consistent and impartial to all parties. He talked about how, you know, there's a presentation aspect to getting a strike, and sometimes you can get the six-inch slider off the plate. In what world is that the right thing to do? In what world should you be content with, oh, well, you know, I did something well, and that caused the umpire, the unbiased observer official, to call it wrong? We're okay with them making wrong calls. It's completely subjective and un, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It, so therefore, no, Tyler Flowers, I'm sorry. It, it came across as someone who has been in the bigs a long time, which Tyler Flowers has been. He's been, yeah, a good career. Good kind career. of that that stodgy old, you know, 60 or 70-year-old baseball guy 
that doesn't want to see any change, wants to see all human element, doesn't want to see replay. The more we've talked about this, Calvin, throughout the entire season, the more I've been kind of inching your way with automated strike zone. And I think after hearing that clip and hearing you talk, I'm getting even closer to it. Good. Well, I'm glad. Because everything that we consume, whether it's on MLB game day, on your app, or on your tablet, or everything on the TV. In real time. It, it is a defined strike zone. That we know if it's a strike or not. On definitively. ESPN, <laughs> on ESPN, on Fox, everywhere. It is a defined strike zone. And you see people, all the, you see fans all the time screenshotting their phone when there was an obvious missed strike call or ball, and they're tweeting it out saying, how is, the, how is this possible? Well, we're all in the business of getting it right. So I'm, I can't believe I'm getting closer to your thought process, Calvin. I, 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 I never want to admit that I'm <laughs> getting close to your thought process. Just kidding. Um, but I'm getting there on this. I, I really am. It just... I mean, to me, it just makes sense. And, like, I don't know if this is because, like, you know, I'm a 21-year-old kid or whatever. But And I understand the point of, like, catching is an art. And, like, that's that's strategic. And it's built within the game. It's the game within the game of stealing strikes. And that's part of, like, trying to win the game. And it's strategic. And ca- good catchers who are good should be rewarded for that. But there's the overarching thing you can't miss that an official is there to get it right. And if we can get better at consistency for the players on the field, then that's what we should do. It's a shame because I really do enjoy watching catchers frame and set things up and, you know, how they'll get low and then, you know, you got to hold a stiff wrist and work your arm up through it. You know, I remember watching the guys I played with, you know, they would work on getting these low strike calls and good catchers. Man, you could get away with murder with some of these, especially lower level umpires. But in the bigs, if you do it right, it's fun if you know what you're doing, but that doesn't matter if it's unfair to everybody playing the game. My last thought on this is that I wonder, let's say Major League Baseball goes with it, I wonder how far down in the baseball world it it trickles. Does it go to AAA, automated automated strike zone? I think they could do it. There. Does it go into lower-level minor leagues? Does it go to college baseball? Does it go to high school? I, like, like, I highly doubt high school baseball. Yeah. Nationwide gets to automated strike zones, but maybe Division One college baseball. I don't think that's crazy. I mean, it would take it would take time, and it would take a devotion by conferences and the SEC and all of that and teams to build up the funds to make sure it happens and happens well and correctly. I think obviously in college sports it's a little bit further away, but remember, Major League Baseball is funding testing in the Frontier League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it happening in the minor leagues just makes a lot of sense before it happens in the bigs. I think it's inevitable, whether it's two years from now or five years from now, ten years from now, especially with replay and how sensitive people can be in this world around the human element. I think it's inevitable that the automated strike zone is coming. My final thought is, like you were talking about, everybody in the world can see what is and isn't a strike because if we have these apps these replays, these slow motion replays, all this sensor tracking technology that gets it perfect. The only person who doesn't know the perfectly right call are the people on the field. Yep. Isn't that a little weird? It is a little weird. It absolutely is. Well, that brings us to the end of 
another edition of the Home Play Podcast. Thanks to Matt McCarthy of 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston for joining us. And we will be back next week talking more hot stove around Major League Baseball. For Calvin Smith, I'm Ryan Porth. Thank you for listening to the Home Play Podcast, ESPN 1025 The Game and TheGameNational.com. <laughs>